Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast, Almost Here, Round the Corner Technologies. Today, I've got a real interesting interview. Uh, we have two doctors, Dr. Carlos Mastrangelo and Dr. Tridib Ghosh. Um, they're the creators of a new way of, um, a new form of glasses that uses uh, liquid, but I'll let them go into the specifics of it. But how are you doing, doctors? How are you guys doing? Oh, doing great. You're doing good. Yeah. Would you mind describing to listeners, um, it, you know, it looks to me like a new form of glasses. What, how is your, your, um, version of glasses different from what's out there right now? Well, uh, the purpose of these glasses, you have to look at the origin of the technology and they were developed to um, solve the problem of presbyopia. Presbyopia occurs um, when people were, when they are over 40 years old, they lose their ability to uh, focus at objects at different distances. Um, mm. And they the reason why this thing happens is because inside the eye, there is a lens. Uh, it's called a crystalline lens. And this particular lens is tunable. So in other words, uh, if you need to look at an object close or an object far, then the, the lens automatically adjusts to the right power to show that object in focus. Uh, as people age, they lose their ability to focus on objects. And uh, uh, you cannot correct that kind of problem with a fixed uh, type of eyeglasses. You have to have a variable power eyeglasses, and that's what we developed. Yeah, my um, I guess the closest thing right now is um, progressive lenses, right, or bifocals or trifocals that uh, people attempt right now uh, to do that. The only solution that's out, the solutions which are out there, which are based on fixed power eyeglasses, what they do, they have a gradient on the uh, on the power, so different areas of the lens, they have different optical power. But the problem that you're facing there is that uh, if the object that you want to look at is in the wrong zone of the lens, it will show up lower. And overall, uh, when you look at the image through these graded lenses, everything kind of looks distorted. So it's not a, it's not a very good solution. Right. So you're trying to approximate how the eye actually works. So, yeah, what, tell me a little bit about the physical. Good. You can actually replace the lost function of the crystalline eye with external lenses that we made. Yeah, so what does it look like? If I had a pair in my hands, like, you know, can well, I tell that it's a special kind? What does it look like? Yeah, right now the the eyepieces, the eyepieces are circular, so it sort of looks like, uh, I mean, from the eyepiece itself, it looks like uh, maybe a John Lennon type of, type of uh, eyeglasses. <laughs> okay. But uh, they, are, they, are, they are made out of uh, a liquid, basically. So is it liquid trapped between two pieces of plastic, for instance, to make yeah, the lens? Probably the simplest description of this is like a bladder. It's a Transparent bladder filled with liquid. Yeah. Okay. So, are you at the stage where you've made a pair of these glasses and has someone, you know, a test subject worn them and looked through them, or what? What stage are you at with them? 
Well, we we fabricated these uh, glasses. We also fully tested them. Um, we have published results in uh, Optical Express, I think in February, I believe. Uh, so we have uh, lots of data on the performance of these variable power lenses. And we have also made a, a, a university um, grade prototypes for demonstration purposes. And a few people have have tried these things, but we have not really released any of these things to the general public, and that's we are trying to commercialize. Uh, that's part of the commercialization effort. Yeah. So, what's been the experience of people that that wear them? What do they tell you? What is it like to to look through these lenses or these these glasses? Uh, well, I think actually one of the um, you have to understand a little bit about the source of funding for this stuff. Uh, these lenses, these lenses uh, development was funded by the, the, the National Institute of Health, and one mm -hmm. of the things the National Institute of Health uh, does is regulate how these um, medical devices are tested on on humans. So we don't we don't really have a lot of freedom to um, do a lot of testing ourselves uh, without the blessing from the National Institute of Health. Now we expect to do a lot of human testing over the next six months or so. Um, under their supervision, basically. Right, right. Have you, I mean, again, is there any anecdotal evidence you're allowed to test on yourself? I mean, do you guys yeah, wear glasses? Uh, have you, yeah, have that's you tried right. these? Uh, that's right. Uh, myself, I uh, I have presbyopia, so I tested them. It worked fine. Do they, do they look better than your current glasses? Like, were you like, wow, this looks amazing? Or was it just, like, decent vision and, okay, great? I mean, were you well, I, amazed? I think, or? I think the, if for a person who has not w used these type of lenses before, it would feel like constantly replacing the lenses with different power lenses. So you see kind of clearly far with one set of lenses, and you see clearly close with another set of lenses, but it all happens automatically. You don't have to take them off, off, your, uh, off your head. So how does, it, how does it work? You know, I'm looking through the, the liquid... Why does the liquid act like a lens, and how can it act as a variable power lens? Like mechanically, how does it work? Uh, basically, in order to um, to form a lens, you need a you need two things. You need uh, a fluid or material that has a high index of refraction, like glass, for example. Glass is it doesn't it doesn't flow, but it has a high index right. of refraction. And then you also need to have a curved surface, a curved interface. It turns out that the focal length of the of the lens is uh, related to the curvature of the the curved surface. So with the uh, liquid lens, we can actually um, press, basically we press on the back of the lens and we can change the curvature of the front. So if you press a lot, you get uh, a low radius of curvature. That means a high high optical power. If you um, actually push back, you can actually get a negative. Uh, power, which corresponds also with negative radius of curvature, so you can it's completely adjustable. But how does how does it adjust? Is it like a computer that's taking the incoming light and calculating distances? Is it by the movement of your head? I mean, how does it uh, literally? How does it work? More like system issues. Uh, in addition to the uh, the variable power uh, lenses, the eyepieces, we also have some electronics uh, subsystems with the eyeglasses. So uh, what, uh, in order for us to uh, do the continuous adjustment, we need to know a couple of, of pieces of information. 
we need to know the prescription for the person, like uh, the eyeglasses prescription. That's something that right. needs to be known. And also we need to know the distance to the object that you're observing. And based, based on those two pieces of information, uh, there's actually a little computer that calculates the actual power required for your lenses to focus on that object uh, and you get a clear image. So all of that's included as part of the set, but it's more like an electronic subsystem part of it. How does it know what you're looking at? Is there like a camera that looks at your eye and it can tell what it's looking at or where that's it's looking in the lens? Or? That's actually a very good question. Uh, the first generation of these devices, they have a front uh, forward-looking distance sensor. So it's kind of like right, right above the nose. There is a sensor that measures distance to the, the closest object straight straight out out of your face. And based on that distance, it, uh, it adjusts the power of the lenses. So whatever it's looking at, whatever that distance is, it will be in focus. Uh, but okay. um, we are planning to incorporate uh, a more sophisticated distance uh, sensor, like includes uh, eye tracking. But that's not going to mm. come up the first generation. That will be later. Yeah, because eye tracking, then it would uh, dynamically adjust to what you're actually looking at. So, like, like right now, if I'm looking straight ahead, fine. But if I look out of the, you know, diagonally out of the corner of my eye, it won't look right because. Yeah, that's uh, it. It turns out that all those functions can be made, but it's the challenges that appear on two categories. Number one is on the uh, power consumption of the set because these things are driven by battery, and you want to have significantly very long battery life for this device. Right. But the more functions that you are, the more power you're going to consume. And then the second one is on the weight. Um, so. Um, it, 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 you can add those functions. It just requires a lot more engineering. <laughs> right. What um? What's the liquid? I don't know if you're able to say, but what's the liquid used inside the uh, the lens? Um. Yeah, actually, we can say because it's already published. Uh, we're using uh, glycerin, which is high. Okay. It's an index of one point five. Oh. And the glasses you make, um, what's the weight of them? And how bulky are they compared to like regular glasses? Well, that's part of the design aspect. Uh, uh, I way it's kind of like a moving target right now, but uh, we are our, our our most current target is about five grams per eyepiece. Um, okay. That most of the weight is on the eyepieces, and there's maybe a few more extra grams on the electronics and the battery. So. Probably overall, the entire piece is not really completely clear, but it's going to be somewhere between 30 to 50 grams weight total. Is that more than current eyeglasses or less? Oh, I, don't, yes. I don't know. Uh, okay. Eyeglasses they are very light because they're basically a piece of plastic. <laughs> it's much lighter, yeah. Okay, what, like what's an average weight of, of regular glasses? Uh, that's grams. A I think they are around... Maybe 10 to 20 grams. I think on the lower side of it, 20 grams, maybe around um, okay. closer to 10 grams, I think. Okay. And also, it depends right, a lot on the type of frame that they have. You know, if you have a thick frame, it will weigh more. Right, yeah. Well, I wear glasses, but I I don't know what my glasses weigh. I just I was curious if you guys knew offhand, but it's okay. So they're heavier, but I'm sure over time they'll get lighter and sleeker and, and all that. 
Um, so it depends on the manufacturer concern. Some manufacturer wants it to be a bit bulky and a bit flashy. So, I mean, it could go up all the way up to 50 grams as well. So it's not really that light compared to our stuff. We are trying to get into the same zone. What about all the, um, what about people with astigmatisms or just, you know, they're nearsighted or farsighted? Um, will this system work for those kind of uh, abnormalities? Well, the... I get a lot of questions of this type before, and uh, the the the, the uh, main design is for folks who who are losing this ability to focus. Uh, so in other words, they, they have no choice but to wear eyeglasses or some sort of bifocals or multifocals. Um, but these are fundamentally tunable glasses. So. Um, you could use these uh, eyeglasses as basically universal kind of thing because once you buy them, if your prescription changes, you can actually cha you can enter that electronically. Uh, so, uh, uh, so the main function or the main purpose of these uh, these eyeglasses are for people who suffer from presbyopia. But uh, I also had requests for other folks that they only need fixed glasses, but maybe they, on occasion the the prescription changes. And they had to go and buy another set. In this case, you don't need to buy another set. You just uh, enter the prescription on your app, and then you are set. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess, uh, uh, fundamentally, uh, in terms of the optic optical defects that it can correct, right now it can correct all types of focusing focusing problems. Uh, we are thinking about adding astigmatism, uh, but that that's kind of like in the future. So it's mostly like focusing. So focusing includes near uh, near distance focusing and far distance focusing. And I guess in the future, what the glasses would do is you put them on, it reads your prescription dynamically, and it adjusts from there. I mean, at some point, I would guess you don't even need to tell it your prescription. It would just look and see, and uh, then, um, you could train it essentially, you know, in, in, um, right there live. You could train it, but uh, there is actually an instrument that you can you can get this prescription kind of easily from optometrists. Um, there are a number of companies that they claim they can obtain the prescription from um, from a phone app. So it's possible these things in the future. You may not even have to go to an optometrist. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Hmm, interesting. Um, any other? Um, I mean, was it? You know, we talked about plans. I seem to always be pushing the envelope with you guys, and, you know, that's future, that's future. So your first focus, no pun intended or pun intended, is, uh, again, for people with presbyopia, uh, they can't focus properly. Um, what do you think the commercial rollout is going to be? Is it going to take a year, two years? How long do you think until, you know, people on the street are wearing these type of glasses? We are trying very hard to get these things on the street within two years. Nice. And um, is it your intention to take this all the way through commercialization where your company will be this product, or do you want to get back to research and, um, you know, designing other types of things, or is it a dual focus? What, what do you guys want to do? Perhaps uh, David can answer that question. Well, you know, commercialization as it is, is a term that is these days primarily based on the market feedback. So if I were to say that we're going to take these glasses to the market in the next two years' time, 
that doesn't really mean that our research uh, based on the market feedback ends. Actually, if you think of it, it gets more intense beyond that point. Mm. Because once the first generation prototype is in the hands of the customers, they're always going to come back and have queries and have suggestions, right. improve it, what more features they want. And therefore, I mean, our R&D, which actually forms a part of any uh, decently manufacturing company producing their own products, I would say the R&D would keep on going, you know, based on the market feedback. And in fact, the license that we have with University of Utah, or we are rather negotiating with University of Utah, um, it actually also encompasses other stuff, like, say, virtual reality. So our okay. technology is not really, real, I mean, it's not really limited to the application of having an eyeglass or an eyewear. Right. It could have applications in a lot of different fields. So based on our potential customers or organizations who would like to work with us, our R&D and research will, you know, it will still keep on going side by side. Okay. I, yeah, I was going to ask you a couple more questions. Um, what about, like, sunglasses? Uh, will you have the ability, you think, to um, make changes in the liquid, you know, maybe put some other element in with the glycerin so they can change the uh, transparency and make sunglasses? Uh, we, 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 to be honest with you, we haven't thought about it, but it's certainly possible. Um, I, so I, actually, with regard to your previous question, I want to say a little bit more, if I, if I may. Sure. Uh, yeah, I think sure. this, I, I, I was, when I developed this, uh, this, uh, these devices in the, in the research lab, I was uh, amazed by the response that I received from literally all over the world. It appears that we have hit onto a revolutionary device. And just like with any revolutionary device, it's going to take some time for uh, the major industries in the market, like for example, eyewear manufacturers, to adopt this kind of technology. So uh, we are likely to, um, remain attached to this technology for quite some time until uh, other manufacturers uh, may either acquire us or, or may develop similar technologies. Right. Uh, but I think it's going to take uh, uh, at least a couple of years before uh, folks in the industry are convinced these things are real. Yeah, I think it I, I sounds like the opportunity is huge. Um, so I'm glad I'm talking to you guys now because I'm sure in the next few years it'll be very difficult to get to you, and I, w I definitely wish you a lot of success. And I think it's really an amazing thing that you've invented. Um, That's really nice. Maybe a little bit of background. How did you come up with this concept, and uh, you know, how did you how did this come up? Well, if you want to know the story of this stuff, uh, is because uh, myself, uh, just kind of like my my own personal experience, uh, I I had I had excellent vision until I started reaching my 50s and um, pre start uh, suffering from presbyopia. Presbyopia is kind of like gradually, it get, happens gradually to people, but it, it doesn't improve. It gets worse and worse. Uh, so I, uh, uh, myself, I <laughs> decided to visit an optometrist and I was shocked that uh, the, the present solutions, uh, they are basically ancient. There hasn't been any um, advances in eyewear technology for presbyopia since, since the 50s, literally. And wow. uh, some of the devices used are much older than that. 
So I decided that uh, I wasn't satisfied with the solutions, and uh, so that's kind of like the whole thing I started. I wanted to make something that was uh, kind of like a 20, 21st century solution, something that has electronics and it can it can adjust itself, so uh, you don't have to rely on those uh, ancient uh, <laughs> medical devices. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, it that I, I was a little bit fortunate that I had a lot of experience in my previous research in uh, microfluidics, and so it's created here. Um, so it was uh, not that difficult for us to develop uh, the the basic lens technology with uh, with our previous knowledge. So we sort of like uh, okay. at the right time in the right place, kind of sort of thing. Do you think that? Um instead of just being outside of the eye, that you can make a, a tiny version of this that could go inside the eye, an implant that would be a fluid-filled lens that would do exactly this? Could, number, could that also be a possibility? A uh, number of uh, contact lens manufacturers have, uh, have contacted us uh, requesting exactly that. I think, uh, personally, that can be done. But it requires quite a bit of miniaturization and innovation, uh, so it requires quite a bit of quite a bit of money to get it done. I think basically the obstacle is money. Right, there'll be a lot of research, and yeah, I just I'm just asking, uh, you know, again, where where could this go? Would it could it ever be used as a transplant, where you'd actually uh, implant this into the eye, but again, uh, act the same way? I, acts, you know? We. Uh, it possibly could be used in the future, but anything that gets implanted into uh, into a person is subject to um, food and drug administration rules, so it's likely to take a very long time. I think the contact lenses, they don't have that much of a regulation as an implantable device. Right, right. Okay. Um, can these uh, lenses give you better than 2020 vision, or they can only correct your vision? Uh, uh, what they can do is they can augment the the accommodation accommod, accommodative power. The accommodative power is uh, the range that the the crystalline can adjust inside. You know, when you have a normal eye, the crystalline can change power within certain range. When mm -hmm. you add in external uh, glasses, it'll actually increase that. So in other words, you'll be able to see objects which are farther away and objects which are closer to you. Oh, okay. So it expands your range. Yes, it expands the range. So so like uh, you know, just can imagine you it's kind of sort of like looking through some binoculars or maybe looking through a microscope on the extreme. I'm kind of pushing the extremes. Well that's what I mean. Do you think that these um eventually there could be applications for um police or sharpshooters or scientists where, you know, they put these lenses on instead of using a microscope, a low power one, or instead of using, um, you know, a scope for a gun, you know, that it could expand and augment a person's um, eyesight and, you know, the, the lens would do it. Yes. We, in fact, you know, we have like an some, eye loop. We have some requests for some artists that they, they need to, uh, they need to have very clear vision and it's kind of like for that same kind of purpose. They wanted to see more clearly. Well, I think the technology in general is applicable to anything that requires automatic focusing. I mean, you take all the applications, the entire pool of applications, and this technology can be extended 
except that the, the extension of the technology has to fit that particular application. Uh, it might be of different shape and form, but by and large, yes. I mean, there will be a lot of applications for this, and some of those you just mentioned. I'm just letting my mind run wild here. That's why I'm asking all these questions. But yeah, okay. Well, that's great. We also have some um, some uh, requests to make to to use these renewable uh, lenses in virtual reality sets. Finally, mm, folks yeah. that uh, use virtual reality sets and have eye problems, they they need to have these variable lenses in there. Okay. Yeah, that would probably be the uh, yeah. It's another arena in which it can go. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, last last couple of questions. Um, any problems or any you know because of this system is a fluid filled, you know, lens or bag or whatever you want to call it. Any um, issues with corruption of the fluid? Does it go off or uh, does the fluid properties change over time? Or are there any unanticipated issues that you found? Because it's a liquid? Um, we don't anticipate degradation of the liquid, and one can avoid uh, most of those problems by choosing the materials properly. We were very careful in the selection of the materials. Uh, I think the thing that is important for these type of lenses is they rely on the elastic properties of the materials. Uh, but we are incorporating some um, sensors that will basically maintain the specs of the of the lens for a very long time. In other words, uh, there's an internal compensation so that, uh, you know, as far as the user goes, they are not going to drift. Yeah, and I guess they could also always be drained. Let's say something happened with the glycerin, you needed to, like, open them up and drain them and replace the fluid. That's a possibility. Um, I think, uh, fundamentally, these, these glasses, they will have a protective shell around them, so they won't, uh, I mean, otherwise, yes, it's possible somebody can poke them and uh, basically rapture them, but they will, they will have a right. protective shell to prevent that kind of problem. Okay. And what about sunlight? Do you think, um, and I'm sure you could put coatings on there so they wouldn't degrade, but does sunlight degrade glycerin or any of the other components in the liquid? And you know, any UV degradation or other problems like that? Uh, I, 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 we don't anticipate that kind of problems for normal use. Uh, if this is going to be 24 hours a day on a desert, then something might happen. <laughs> but we, <laughs> but I, we well, there'll move. be a lifetime. There'll be a lifetime. You know, maybe the glasses will have 10,000 hours of use before they need to be tweaked or replaced or whatever. Maybe oh, have 100,000 hours of use, you know? We'll be incorporating some uh, self-adjustment. So as far as the users go, they won't they won't need to adjust them at all. Um, mm. As far as the lifetime, yes, of course, the, the internal compensation has a final lifetime. We believe we can uh, make these lenses stable for at least five years. Wow, okay. That's great. Yeah, by that time, a lot of people's prescription changes anyway. So unless it adjusts on the fly, um, anyway. But yeah, that sounds like um, sounds like an amazing, amazing uh, discovery you guys have and uh, and project. Any any other questions or things you want me to talk about that I haven't asked you? Uh, you ask us for a mission statement. I don't know if you need it. <laughs> well, no. I mean, I think you know I've got the point. You want to bring better eyesight to this particular group of people that lack focus, first of all, and then. 
you know, it sounds like you're going to see where it goes from there. But, I mean, you're already getting requests from so many arenas. Um, it's just a fantastic thing you guys are doing. And I'm really uh, looking forward to seeing it come out into the market. But, you know, is there anything else you wanted to add that I didn't cover? Anything I didn't ask you? Anything you want to communicate to listeners? Well, actually, uh, we just wanted to add something on top of uh, what we have already mentioned, and that is these te this technology and these lenses can also be applicable to kids below 18 years because apparently, in their cases, the eye power changes more often than not. So hmm. it's not really meant to treat just people with presbyopia or in a certain age demographics. It actually, as Dr. Misrangelo has mentioned before, is applicable for any autofocusing application. And in America itself, there's about 120 million people above the age of 45 who kind of suffer from this, and an additional 14 million who are below 18 years of age. And wow. then we go into the worldwide uh, scenario, we see we have at least one to one and a half billion people who, would, who could use our technology. So as I said, you wow. know, we are not limiting ourselves to a very specific age demographics, but yes, that's our starting point. Okay. Well, great. Well, doctors, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm really, um, I really feel privileged to be able to talk to you guys, especially this early stage. And um, I guess last thing is uh, for listeners, if they want to contact you, what's the best way, you know, if they have an idea, or is a collaboration or a licensing or you know whatever it may be what's the best way for companies or individuals to contact you uh well you can contact uh, dr Philip Gosh at Shapais uh, uh or myself directly and uh, we can uh, provide you with the email addresses okay <laughs> yeah. All right, and the company is sharp eyes llc right okay that's correct okay well, very good. That's all I have. And, uh, you know, again, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And you're doing uh, fantastic work. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.